What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Hey, I'm John Kenzano. The Pac-12 schedule is out. John Wilner and I are here with another all-new episode of Kenzano and Wilner, the podcast. Do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. You can find my work at johnkenzano.com. Get a paid subscription, get a free subscription, whatever works for you works for me. I'm here with John Wilner, the great John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. Wilner, how do they find you? Well, Bay Area News Group is the right start at Pac12Hotline.com, and we are available at media outlets across the Pac-12 footprint. And we do have some news to talk about here in the middle, what is it, the middle of January, uh, a month later than is typical, but we've got the schedule and uh, was it released either two hours ago or 24 hours ago, depending on where you get your news. Uh, thanks to my partner here who had some fabulous uh, info yesterday, a day ahead of the announcement. It fell out what of the did you sky. Think? You know how that works. It fell out of the sky in my lap sure. on a oh, three-day sure. weekend. But yeah. No, no, no <laughs> effort put into it whatsoever, I'm sure. You were just sitting around and not making any calls. Let me, uh, let, let me just ask you this. Okay, so – when you see the full master schedule, um, where do your eyes want to? Because I, I, when I got my hands on this thing, it was interesting to me to, to, to note where I went first. And I surprised myself a little bit. But I want to know from you first, Wilner. You look at the master schedule. You have all the teams in front of you. Where, where, do you, where were you tempted to look first? Well, the first thing I do is I look to see where the buys are. And how many teams have got extended stretches where they got they got to grind, right? And the conference, with the exception of USC, and we'll talk about USC situation uh, in a little bit here. They did a good job of getting everybody slotted uh, with their buys in the in the middle third of the season, right? Late September through like the third week of of October. So everybody's got to break about where you want it. That's the first thing I look at. I also look to see. You know, back-to-back road games. Uh, do you have? Are you playing uh, a road game off a team that was uh, on a bye the previous week, Friday nights? All those kind of things that that can impact the competitive uh, balance. Yeah, I I uh, I immediately I noticed the buys, but I immediately looked for the USC Oregon game because it was the game I really wanted to see last season, and I wanted to see a Are they playing it? And where is it in the schedule? And I, then I saw it on week 11. USC's playing at Oregon. And then I went and looked at what Washington is doing. And I couldn't, my eyes went immediately to November. And Washington's got, you know, at USC, home against Utah, and at Oregon State, back to back to back. And then I went, oh, what is Utah doing? So I, I kind of went through contenders, like the contenders that, you know, everybody's going to pick at the top of the preseason polls and the preseason rankings. And so, I was looking for those big matchups. Where are they falling? Who's playing before and who's after? And I got to be honest, Wilner, I looked for that bye week in front of the Oregon-Washington game just to see who was going to be bitching more about that game. And it turns out uh, everybody's got a bye. Right, and they should. Both those teams should. That's such a huge game for the conference. Both those teams, we've talked about this. Both those teams should have byes the week before that game every year to make sure they're as fresh as possible. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the right thing to do. And, you know, of course, you see the Week Zero game with San Jose State and USC, 
Of course, I see some of the games that look like they're flex games. Could be a Thursday, could be a Friday, could be a Friday, could be a Saturday. But by and large, that's where I started. I looked at the contenders. I looked for the big matchups. Wanted to see where they were falling, who they were playing before. Was there a bye before Oregon-Washington? And then I sort of settled in with the schedule. Um, can we start a little—do you want to go team by team, or how do you want to unpack this thing? You know, we could do we could do either way. What complaints are you hearing out there? Okay, let's where, start with that. Where, what are you hearing from the from fans in terms of you know either complaints or conspiracy theories, that kind of stuff? Well, immediately I wondered, and I wrote this uh, uh, on my website. I wondered if the you know the ten athletic directors that were holdovers would somehow, in some way, shape, or form form an alliance or a voting block. Shouldn't use the word alliance around here, but a voting block where they would. <laughs> try to do some things that were not favorable for USC and UCLA. So immediately I was kind of looking for clues there. Did they do something? Was there a conspiracy? I did some probing. I did find out that, you know, all, there were three scheduled drafts that the athletic directors voted on. They were, they were labeled Schedule A, Schedule B, Schedule C. Eight of the 12 ADs voted for Schedule A as their first choice. Um, two ADs picked Schedule B and two picked Schedule C. Now, I have not yet been able to determine if UCLA and USC voted together or apart, but uh, I believe that the eight who voted for the A draft schedule were all not from UCLA or USC. So there were some other versions of this schedule that may have been more favorable to USC or UCLA. I don't know. Or maybe that just was happenstance. But, uh, you know, I think the belly aching immediately was that I heard was people upset about USC having two buys, upset that USC would get a buy in front of the Pac-12 championship game. But uh, as you pointed out, like that has that has something to do with BYU as well, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that's I, that is um, one of the things that we should we should address is the BYU factor. Right. Two two seasons ago, there were five games against BYU. This past season two, 2023, there are no games against BYU because the Cougars are going to be in the Big 12 and they don't have the flexibility. They're not looking for games as an independent. And that has a big impact on the Pac-12. BYU was the perfect opponent for Stanford and USC for the last Saturday of the season, Thanksgiving Saturday, when, when that team played at Notre Dame in October – and then had no no Pac-12 games scheduled for the Saturday Thanksgiving. BYU was the perfect team to play there, and they they have done that in the past. All of a sudden now, BYU is not available, so that leaves USC without an obvious team to play on the final Saturday of the season, because that's a that's reserved for for Notre Dame, uh, for Stanford and Cal. So they got to find a non-conference game if they want. They don't play FCS teams. All the uh, FBS teams are booked. So SC ends up with uh, with no game. And that's partly because BYU is not available. Um, and the thing is, SC has had no game before the Pac-12 championship in 2017 when they actually made it and played Stanford. And they also had a bye the final week in 2019. It didn't matter. They weren't in the championship game. But this this is not new that SC's got an open date the Saturday before the title game. Yeah, and I, I, th I get why people are upset, though, because if it comes down to 
the Pac-12 championship game, which is we now know is locked in for Friday, December 1st. If if the, the Trojans are in that game and they have a bye the week before, that is a tremendous advantage going into that title game. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to dissuade people from being upset about that because it is an advantage. It is an advantage, but it's not. The Pac-12 is not responsible for that fact because the conference has got this understanding that SC and Stanford are going to play Notre Dame. And those Notre Dame games are very valuable TV properties for the Pac-12. So the collective is benefiting from them. But what it means is that every year one of those two teams is going to have that Saturday, that last Saturday open. That is not a Pac-12 conference. Uh, the conference isn't responsible for scheduling a, a league game that that week for that team. That team is responsible for trying to find a non-conference opponent. SC didn't do it. The Pac-12, my understanding is the Pac-12 tried to find a fix and tried to get a conference game slotted in there. Uh, and it involved somehow, I don't know the details, but it did involve the Arizona State-Colorado game moving to week zero, which we all read about. If they had been able to move that game to week zero, it would have freed up a way for USC to have a conference game the final Saturday. The NCAA rejected the Pac-12's waiver request for ASU and Colorado to play on week zero, and the result of that is that SC – ends up with without a game back to the belly aching where else are you hearing it well you know i heard some stuff about the huskies getting uh overloaded in november and it's a it's a tough november but you know i think it's a it presents washington with a huge opportunity in my mind right sc utah oregon state washington state if they are as good as at least i think they should be uh, they're going to have a huge platform to make a case for the playoff to get Michael Penix to New York for the Heisman. That's, you know, th that's part of being really good and having high expectations is you end up with a heavy, uh, heavy November schedule. And yep. that's, that's what happened to the Huskies. Hey, look, it, it ate up the ducks this last year. The ducks had that really brutal November where they had, uh, Washington, Utah, and Oregon state, uh, down the stretch. And, you know, if they had been healthy, maybe they would have been in a better position and, and playing better football, but they weren't. And so they had to kind of grind through it, and it caught them. They lost two of those three. So I think it can bite you in some ways. But yep. conversely, you know, I look at the early part of Washington's schedule, and it's a conference schedule. It's Cal at home. It's at Arizona. It's by. I mean, it gets a, it's a great opportunity for Washington to come out of the gates and possibly be 5-0 and going into their bye week and, and then facing – uh, in week seven, they they play Oregon at home. And so as bad as it may seem for Husky fans to be, you know, the schedule's backloaded clearly, I also think it's going to get some eyeballs on them, as you point out. But I get, it gives them a great opportunity to get a hot start, which is a lot of what you need to get into the rankings and get into the playoff picture in the first place. Yeah, and Oregon has a similar thing. If they can win at Texas Tech— you know they've got a great chance of being what five and zero. Yes, uh, in that I mean that could be a, a two teams undefeated, both in the top ten, and that's what the conference wants. I think it's very interesting. You know, you can go through the the schedule and with the the conference schedule. So we're talking about weeks four through week thirteen, and you can come up with a game that other than one week, there is an obvious prime time game on the schedule for every single Saturday. 
a game that Fox or ABC is going to be real interested in, you know, depending on how the, well the teams are doing. But I thought the conference did a very good job of kind of uh, spreading out the marquee games to to make sure every week but one is accounted for. I also think, you know, look, they clearly have set that up for Oregon and Washington to possibly be 5-0 and and meeting in week seven after the bye week in week six, playing each other. They've done a very interesting thing in week 11 as well, as this conference will have USC at Oregon. It'll have Washington playing Utah. Um, uh, you know, you know that one of those two games is going to be huge. And I think, you know, they did something, you know, Colorado fans are bellyaching about the way the season starts, but I think it's designed to get some eyeballs on Deion Sanders' program, get Coach Prime into prime time, so to speak. Uh, you know, even though there's a potential there for like a one and four start for Colorado, um, there's yeah. going to be a ton of eyes on him. And I fear if you wait till later in the year to have marquee Pac-12 games with uh, you know Coach Prime coaching, uh, you might have a Colorado team that's just not as interesting. So I like what they did by putting Colorado at Oregon in the in Week Four. And then Colorado at home against USC. And I know the Colorado fans don't love it, but, man, you're going to have the spotlight. Yeah, you will. And, you know, the, the SC thing is interesting, too, because they do have that bye before the championship game, but they also have to play nine weeks in a row, right? Their bye is, is in the middle of September. So when they get into that heavy stretch, you know, Notre Dame, Utah, uh, Cal, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, uh, the Washington game, is going to be their seventh in a row. The Oregon game is going to be their eighth in a row. UCLA, ninth in a row. So there is a trade-off, you know, for having that buy. It means that your November is that much more of a grind because you have had, you have no chance to to take a break to get healthy. Yeah, I, and look, I, and I, I just think the, yeah, television is driving the bus. This is about entertainment. And at conferences, I think, I think they did some smart things. You know, I can nitpick. But I think they did some smart things, and I like what they did with Colorado. I also like what they did with Arizona State. Um, you know, Kenny Dillingham, first-year coach at Arizona State. He's got uh, a conference schedule that includes five home games. Uh, they were already going to have all three non-conference games at home, so it's eight home games for Kenny Dillingham in year one. And they threw USC at him in week four, first conference game. It's a tough one. But when you look at the schedule, I mean – it's not unthinkable that Arizona State could be five and one or four and two heading into their bye week in week seven. That would be a really nice start, and it creates a lot of intrigue and a lot of excitement around a program that I think would be really happy to be bowl eligible next season. Oh yeah, they'd be thrilled. I mean, we'll see. They, you know, Oklahoma State wasn't wasn't great this past season. We'll see how good they are. Fresno State won't have Jake Hayner quarterback, but that is a tough three-week stretch there, or Oklahoma State, even though they're all in Tempe, Oklahoma State, Fresno State, and SC. SC is the home conference opener for ASU and for Colorado, and they are obviously going to be a huge draw uh, everywhere they go this season. So uh, two new coaches with uh, – and and they're the conference opener for Stanford. So they're an opener for all three new coaches in some form or fashion. It'll be real interesting to see how those unfold. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm already excited for the season. I think in that way, the conference releasing the schedule accomplished uh, what it needed to do. I think people are in the conference footprint are kind of buzzing about it. Um, uh, well, they got you know six. What they're going to be six top twenty-five teams plus Deion Sanders. So you got seven teams that you could argue that have 
a lot of intrigue about their season and and should have you know a significant amount of buzz and and that's part of the scheduling process too right there's only so much the conference office can do the teams are locked in as to who they're playing and where they're playing they're locked in there's only 10 weeks they got to schedule nine games and so it's just a matter of putting everything in an order that is as fair as possible for each team you don't want to send anybody to a meat grinder with you know playing a road game on Friday after a road game on Saturday. And I think that they, they did as best they could, given that there's a lot of good teams and given that they're bound to the, uh, you know, the divisional schedule. It's the last year they're going to use the divisional schedule as the, as the model, but it's, it has an impact. We got to talk about something that's overarching here too, because there's been uh, a, a big push to move from nine conference games down to eight. This schedule again has nine conference games. Um, I'm told that a couple of the conference members uh, were not thrilled about trying to find a fourth non-conference opponent. Um, Some members have expressed openly, like Arizona State has talked openly about how difficult it is for them to buy opponents and get people to come play them, uh, especially if they want a home game. And where do you stand on that? You know, it's still on the table for 2024 the analytics and data people say it's it's ridiculous that the conference is still at eight versus nine. But what what's your takeaway there? My takeaway is that unless they can schedule a series against the ACC, it's a non-starter because the TV networks aren't going to pay them for a lesser quality. If you remove that ninth conference game and it turns into a group of five or an FCS cupcake, you're not going to get as much money from uh, from TV. So they don't really have a choice unless they can arrange some kind of scheduling deal with the ACC. I don't know where things stand on that exactly, but to me that dictates everything because if there's no if there's no power 5 opponent filling that spot that has been vacated by a Pac-12 opponent, you've got a lesser product and it's hard to find games anyhow like you were saying and it's even harder without BYU around. I I get back to the BYU but they were the perfect scheduling partner for the Pac-12. It was like a conference game, but it wasn't a conference game. And BYU had tons of flexibility. And now that they're off the table, really, it, it's the dynamics have changed for the Pac-12 in terms of non-conference schedules. Now, I am told they, that there has been talk about adding a crossover series with the ACC. But why go that big, Wilner? Why not go? Why not approach uh, the Big Sky Conference and go, look, we're going to do what the SEC does. Uh, we're going to play, apologies to my Big Sky friends, we're going to play a Patsy. Uh, and we're going to block out, you know, week 10 or week 11, and everybody's going to enjoy a non-conference home game that'll be a payday game against a Big Sky member. Shoot some holes in that one. All right, so I'm ESPN, and I say, oh, Oregon is not going to be playing Utah this year. Instead, Oregon is going to be playing Eastern Washington. All right, well, I'm... <laughs> I'm giving you less money. Mm. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. You're removing, uh, and obviously not every Pac-12 game is is like Oregon, Utah, but they are more valuable in general than non-conference games against Big Sky opponents or, or even Mountain West opponents. To be honest, that's the thing is it's it's a a valuation discussion with the with the TV networks, and I think that there's going to be less money available if they do something like that. Yeah, it could be. I mean, that, that that could be exactly what happens. Plus, 
you're going to have to pay those Big Sky members. And I and I know not everybody's thrilled about writing a check to pick up those games. They'd rather be well. And those collecting checks are check. going up. Yeah. Those are getting much more expensive. And part of that's because the SEC and the Big Ten have got tons of money, right? So they can afford to pay. Uh, I mean, Cal paid Notre Dame two million bucks basically. This uh, I mean, Notre Dame paid paid Cal two million bucks. This past season, but you know, you got Auburn doling out 1.5 million here, and you got Ohio State doling out 1.7 there for these Group of Five and FCS teams. The Pac-12 schools can't afford to do that, but the market for those games is is increasing, and that's makes it an economic decision for the Pac-12. Yeah, when you look at those payday games, you know, uh, Alabama approached Portland State uh, recently, or you know, and tried to talk about it, but. Um, you know, Portland State asked for $1.7 million to play that game, and Alabama kind of walked away going, hey, that's too rich for our blood. But, you know, that's kind of what has happened here. Uh, the Vikings got $500,000 to play at Washington. They got 435000 to play at San Jose State next season. Um, you know, uh, they'll play Oregon this coming season. They're getting 575000 for that game. I'm looking at the figures here. And, and in 2024, they'll get 563 from Washington State. And guess what? That's a bargain because those those numbers are pushing towards a million dollars for those payday games. Yeah, and they're, I think they're even above a million for, you know, Big Ten and, and SEC schools because the FCS teams know the, those schools can pay, can pay it. And the thing is that those games are important for the – college sports industry because of i mean you could explain better than i can what those games mean for portland state's budget right i mean that has to be a huge chunk of their operating budget what they get from from those uh you know the payday games yeah and i think um it, there's some problems there that i think are going to need to be unpacked but the big picture is wilner they're at an inherent disadvantage there will be uh you know five or six conference teams depending if you're talking pack 12 or pack 10 they will have an extra loss because of this, because they're playing an extra conference game versus some of their peers. Yeah, and it's certainly has hurt the conference, right, with the playoff and all that. But I think expansion of the playoff is going to, you know, reduce the impact of a, of a an extra loss for some teams, right? Because you know, you win the Pac-12, you're basically guaranteed to get in. Uh, so that that will have an impact the the expansion of the playoff. But let's say the Pac-12 were to go down to eight, okay, in 2024. But let's also say that the SEC goes up to nine because once Texas and Oklahoma, whether they join in 24 or 25, once Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC, they got to play nine games because you can't have a 16-team conference where you're only playing eight league games or you're going to go a decade without playing somebody in the other division. So let's say the SEC all of a sudden goes to nine. Does the Pac-12 want to be playing eight if the SEC and Big Ten are playing nine? I think that the 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 optics of that would look bad. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're just waiting for that to rectify itself. But I still think, look, it's not going to affect your conference champions' chances in most years to get into the playoff. But now we're looking at at-large teams. And anytime you throw extra losses into the mix, and I look over and Alabama and Georgia are playing Troy— and Kent State, like, you know, I, I you know, there's an issue there when, you know, co here comes week 11 uh, in the 2025 season and Washington and Utah are playing and Oregon, uh, you, you know, is is playing Colorado and Coach Prime's got it dialed in. Let's see what Alabama and Georgia are doing this week. Oh, no, it's not. It's, I just think in the end, 
they've got to look at it, and, I, and I'm sure they're consulting with some of the data and analytics people who are looking at this. Uh, but I think there's a there's a disadvantage right now until the SEC moves to nine games. Um, let me ask you a question. He can only go to one game in person in the 2023 Pac-12 football season. Where is John Wilner sitting and watching a game in person? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, <laughs> if it was non-conference game, I would go to uh, Colorado, Nebraska, because I just think the those Pac-10 Pac fans may not realize Colorado and Nebraska, they hate each other. I mean, the Buffs from the Big 12, the Buffs, uh, that's their biggest enemy. So to me, that would be an incredible scene at Folsom Field for Nebraska. Uh, you know, it's Sanders' first home game and you're basically your arch rival coming in. Now, if it's if you're talking about conference games, I would uh I would think long and hard about USC at Utah. Um, or I'm sorry, Utah at USC, which interestingly, you know, that's a tough game for the Trojans. It's after the trip to Notre Dame. So they got to go to South Bend and then they come back and play Utah. Meanwhile, Utah will have just been playing Cal. So that'll be an interesting little dynamic. But I would think long and hard about either Oregon, Washington or or USC, Utah. What about you? I, I, I go to that Friday night game at Reeser Stadium. Utah's going to play at Oregon State in that newly renovated stadium on that Friday night. I think the atmosphere will be fantastic. I think Oregon State is going to be not sneaky good. Like, they're not sneaking up on anybody right now. But I think in the early part of the conference season, that is the game because I think you're looking at two contenders playing each other. Uh, as the season moves on, uh, it's the Oregon-USC game for me. And then the non-conference games, not as sexy as they've been in other years. And you know, so I'd go to the uh, Utah-Florida game. It's going to be on a Thursday or a Friday in week one. I'm leaning towards that being a Thursday game. I think, you know, Kyle Whittingham likes to play the Thursday games. I think a TV partner will have a say in that, of course. But I think that's going to end up being a Thursday night in week one. I think Utah hosting Florida, Rice-Eccles Stadium, huge atmosphere. Oh, yeah, that'll be great. Uh, huge game for Utah, obviously, because they lost it this past season. And that had certainly had implications for the conference. Uh, to me, I think you, you would also think Washington at Michigan state, just because you know, that will be a little bit of a revenge game for, for Michigan state and Washington has got, you know, that's a potentially a playoff team. So the toughest non-conference game for them is going to be a huge one in terms of whether they can, uh, make a, you know, get through the season with either one or zero losses, which is what you need to do. Did but I was looking, after you mentioned that Oregon State game, I was looking, they could very well be 4-0 when yeah. Utah comes to town. Yeah. I think that it's that's set up for the week five primetime game. It's a Friday night game, and it'll be a, it'll be a big one. Let me ask you this. Uh, schedule comes out, you look at it. Did it change who you would have picked to be your conference champion? Is it still to be, to be determined you know, did it change your mind? Did the schedule change your mind on anything, or did you, did it just make you sit forward and kind of pay attention? I mean, mostly it got me excited about the season because you know, I, you know, it's hard to it's hard to get uh, too interested in the way the way Pac-12 basketball has started out here. It's not. Uh, I don't really uh, expect a real uh, dramatic march, but uh, I, I wish the Pac-12 football season could start tomorrow. I think it's going to be fantastic, and it's the most anticipated, probably going to be the most anticipated Pac-12 football season in a decade. Uh, but I would still, I'm go rolling with the team uh, that I've been 
thinking about for a few weeks, which is Washington. I even though they have a really tough November, uh, I think the Huskies are best set up to uh, to win the conference. I think there's how five, about you? I think there's five different teams that could win it, and though I I actually looked at Washington's schedule late in the year, and I thought uh, great opportunity, but I saw Oregon go through that. And I think that's going to be tricky for Washington down the stretch. I would be surprised if they could get through week 10 at USC, week 11, Utah at home, week 12 at Oregon State without tripping uh, in some form or fashion. Two of those three games on the road for Washington. So that did change my mind on them a little bit. Um, I, I made me feel a little better about Oregon State. I think their schedule is very balanced. You look at the late part of their season, they do play Washington at home and then at Oregon in uh, back-to-back games, and they're they're turning around and playing at Oregon on, uh, you know, a short week. It'll be a Friday game, but uh, other than that, I like their schedule very balanced, uh, and I felt pretty good about Oregon's schedule as well. It, you know, they have separated out the Washington, the Utah, and the USC, and the Oregon State games. There's a there's a uh, there's a you know I'm not I'm gonna call it a week off, but there's a softer opponent in between each of those games, and so in a in a bye week in front of the Washington game, so. I think it was pretty favorable, and then I. But I still would lean Utah until I see Cam Rising. Like I know he's not going to play in spring ball. They they said that you know his the, his injury will keep spring ball, but he will be ready for the opener. That's the latest on Rising. But uh, you know until somebody knocks Utah out, and that could happen in Week Five at Oregon State, I got to lean into Utah and say, hey, they're the king until somebody knocks them off the throne. Yeah, perfectly fair. Perfectly fair. And they should be, you know, they got the bye, then they got Cal before they play SC in Oregon uh, and Washington in one, you know, that's four week span. They got SC, Oregon and Washington. That is going to decide so much about the season. And the, the other piece of it is, and it's unknowable, but a lot of what happens, especially to the top teams, is going to depend on the bottom of the conference, right? You can't have you know, five or six ranked teams, unless you've got a handful that are terrible, right? Because it's a zero sum game. This past season, there were a few teams that were terrible, but if, if Colorado is better and they're competitive and ASU is competitive uh, and the Bay area schools are not awful, it's going to be harder for teams to get through, you know, with, and win 10. That's to me, that's a lot of what it's all about. You, you don't want parity and in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think uh, it's compelling. It's interesting. Once you get by the belly aching and, all right, who's got the best schedule? Who's got the easiest schedule? Why is this front-loaded? You come to grips with the idea that the conference was thinking about this and trying to set up really intriguing and compelling storylines and games and matchups for television. And I think, you know, they accomplished that by and large with this schedule. Yeah, they they certainly are paying attention to who's supposed to be good, who's coming back, and all that, all the, the dynamics that go into – you know the the hype and taking their best guess. I don't think that they're tr- they're not trying to smooth uh, the road for any particular team or favor any particular team, but they're trying to give everybody, I think, the best chance possible. Given who you got a schedule, who's on the schedule, and again, who you play has been set. It was set long ago, and it won't be till twenty twenty four when they get off of the division schedule as as the model so you know we know washington state they're not playing utah and usc washington is uh uh you know sc is playing washington and oregon 
UCLA isn't. And that's not something that was dictated, you know, this offseason as they put the schedule together. That's been there. That's been the model for years. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Grab a uh, subscription. And uh, I appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. The great John Wilner, you can find him at pac12hotline.com. Wilner, some parting thoughts, uh, just uh, something you want to leave our listeners with. Go ahead. Oh, boy. Well, we got um, the transfer portal. Today is the uh, the 18th. I believe the transfer portal has is closing today. So that is something to keep an eye on. Uh, players can, players can uh, pick their schools still, but you can't enter the transfer portal after today until early May. So we're going to see a whole bunch of uh, – of selections, but nobody can leave until after spring practice. So that's, that's uh, important. And I, and, you know, we got signing day coming up in early February. Uh, just a couple of, a uh, couple of important little nuggets there for football fans who are wondering about, you know, what their team's roster is going to look like next season, because it is very hard to keep track of who's on which teams these days with this free agency. Do you find that the transfer portal has made it more difficult to to follow teams you think fans are having trouble you know kind of getting a vested having a vested interest in their teams because the turnover of personnel is so great it, it reminds me of the conversations that we were having uh, around professional sports in like the 1980s and the 1990s as you saw more and more free agency and larger contracts mm-hmm. and players uh, in the NBA chasing you know uh, you know teams that were super teams and you know, basically putting together uh, teams that were built to win or contend and and everybody saying this is going to ruin sports, this is going to ruin it. I think it's not what we're used to. And it's and in some cases, it's strange. Tristan Jebbia, the Oregon State quarterback, it jumps in the portal and now he's headed to Ohio State like that. That turned my head around. And but I think it's going to I think we'll it'll settle down. I think they're trying to put some guardrails on the portal. I think we'll all come to grips with the idea that um, you know, look, this is a byproduct of a system that is going to allow players more freedom. We, I think we can all kind of agree that the players needed to at least have the same kind of freedom that coaches had and being able to change programs. So I think some of it's good, but it just reminds me of lamenting in the 1990s. Oh, my team, who are these free agents? You know, they're coming yeah. and going. But I think in the end, you 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 sort of line yourself up with your team and you decide that, you know, you're rooting for your team. You're not rooting for the individual players. Yep. No, that's true. Well, let me ask you, let's say I'll give you a March 1st as a date for the PAC 12 to have a media rights deal in place. Would you take the over or the under? I'm going to take the under. I, th- I think they're going to get it done sooner rather than later. And I think it'll be media rights and potential expansion that happen. Bang, bang. And I, I'm going to say, prior to March 1st that we have oh. some news. I don't know if the deal will be signed and sealed, but we may have a deal in principle like the Big Ten had, and then I think it took them several weeks to come out with the finalized, you know, here are the numbers. But I think we'll get we'll get news before March 1st. What about you? I think that, uh, yeah, it's close. I think it's going to be, it'll be close. But right, I think if we get into the second half of March and there's no deal, then it will be st- – time to start wondering what's going on now i don't know about expansion Uh, i'm still not entirely clear as to whether that's going to just take a week or two or several months uh but i i think you're i would guess you're probably right and if it's if it's late march or beyond then then it could be some trouble 
Thanks very much, everybody, for joining us. We will be back next week, potentially with a special guest. I am John Wilner, Bay Area News Group at Pac12Hotline.com. My partner here, great John Canzano, johncanzano.com. Thanks so much for joining us.